Hey, good morning, New City. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Listen, as stated, I am Rodney Gray, and I am super, super excited to be able to talk to you guys about the Word of God today. Uh, I'm incredibly grateful to this leadership for this opportunity. In fact, can you help me honor our leadership today? Can we do that? Can we do that? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm also super excited because, as you guys heard, in 19 days, I get to marry my best friend. In 19 days. Sweetheart, wa wave your hand, let everybody know who you are. Wave your hand, sweetheart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, super excited. It's only, it's only 19 days, six hours, and, and 30 minutes. Just, I, I might be a little excited. I might be a little excited. But so grateful for my new city family. Jacqueline and I have, have been shown nothing but love since we've been here. And we're grateful for you guys, and we're looking forward to learning from you all and, and, and growing with you guys in, in, in the grace of God. So over the last couple of months, I have been having conversations with family and friends, and I and began to realize that a theme of the conversations was grace. One of the themes of the conversations was grace. And then as I began to pray about what to speak on today, I was talking to Jacqueline, and, and she mentioned the topic of grace. Now, if you were here last week and you open up the app and you were following along as Ryan was teaching us on overcoming what, where you've come from, if you remember the last line in the fill in the blank said, when God has a plan, grace pays the path. When God has a plan, grace pays the path. So I kind of want to piggyback on, on that today because I think that a lot of us, we have kind of a casual approach when it comes to grace. We have a kind of a lackadaisical and casual approach. So I want to attempt to speak to the heart of your relationship with God today. And I'm going to talk from the idea or the thought, embracing grace, embracing grace. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we bless you. We honor you. We're just so grateful for this opportunity to sit at your feet and to learn of you. Now, God, we pray that you would move in and out of this place today, God. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, a heart to receive, and then the discipline to apply your word. We pray that you would help us to be more effective in bringing gospel renewal first to our own lives, then to our city, and then to our world. God, do whatever you got to do in this place today, but please get the glory. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen, amen, amen and amen. So we're going to come from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 7 through 10. No doubt you've heard this story before. It's, the, it's Paul's account of the thorn in the flesh. So you can pull your Bible open or, or pull it up on your mobile device, or we'll put it up on the screen here for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, and it reads, And lest I should be exalted above measure, by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly would I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In verse 10, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches, in needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I love this. I love this. Um, I, I, I really gravitate towards verse number eight. Because in verse number eight, he says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Anybody in here ever begged God to change the situation? 
Anybody ever beg God? I know you have. In fact, somebody in this room is probably in this place right now. You're begging God to change the situation or circumstance, but notice that God didn't change his circumstance, did he? At least not the way he wanted them to, right? God's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm in those places in my life, when I'm begging God to change something and he doesn't, I get a sure enough attitude with God. Sure, not a regular attitude, not a regular, but a sure enough attitude I get with God. Because isn't it interesting how we carry on as if God owes us something at times? Isn't it interesting? Because for a lot of us, most of the time, we become more focused on our problems than we do his presence. Maybe, just maybe, God is more interested in changing people than he is problems. Maybe he's more interested in changing people than he is problems. And I will submit to you that oftentimes... Struggle is a part of God's strategy. So God didn't change Paul's situation, right? But what God did do for Paul was incredibly significant. Incredibly significant. Somebody say grace. Grace. So I'm going to take a few minutes and, and remind you of the importance of grace. The importance of grace. First of all, grace is important because it is the beginning of our story. It's the beginning of our story. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.8, it says, For by grace we are saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the what? Gift of God. So grace started it all. Grace started everything. In fact, apart from grace, there is no relationship with God. There is no relationship. Now, our faith may be the vehicle, but grace is the door. Grace is the door. And I believe that our faith is our response to God's grace. You know how the Bible begins in Genesis 1 verse 1 that says God created the heavens and the earth, right? Well, I believe that the book of our story can begin like this. In the beginning, God gave grace. In the beginning, God gave grace. So grace is important because it is the beginning of our story. Grace is also important because it is the backbone of our existence. Think about it. Everything that you have been able to do, everything that I have been able to do, has been because of the grace of God. Everything. That situation that God brought you through, that you thought you was never going to get out of, God's grace. The reason why you went through something and didn't lose your mind, God's grace. So grace is the backbone behind our existence. Grace is, grace is the backbone of everything that you and I are allowed to be a part of and are allowed to do. Everything is because of God's grace. Now look at this definition of grace. In our text today, in our text, in the Greek, grace means goodwill, loving kindness, favor, or strength. Goodwill, loving kindness, favor, or strength. Now I want you to keep that definition in mind as we dive into this text today. So we know that grace is something that we can't earn and something that we don't deserve, right? You know, it's something we can't earn and something we don't deserve. But what many of us, I believe, take for granted, myself included, is just how much we are the benefactors of grace. Just how much we benefit. Here's here's a novel idea. Our presence in this place today, God's grace. The reason we woke up this morning is because of God's grace. I love this in the book, The Grace of God by Andy Stanley. He says this. He says, God's 24-7 extensions of grace 
generally go unnoticed until they're taken away. God's 24-7 extensions of grace generally go unnoticed until they are taken away. So now, we know that not often do we benefit from grace often, but there's also times when God requires us to extend grace to people, right? Now, if you're anything like me, that's not always an easy thing to do, right? It's not always easy to extend grace to people. In fact, there are some situations that if you put us in right now, we neglect the concept of grace altogether. <laughs> this right here. It's right here. When you put us in that situation, we neglect gr- Now, Now, listen, let's be honest. For some, for some of us, we are a different person behind the wheel. We're a different person. Now, I know you think that person beside you is sweet as pie, but behind the wheel, straight savage. Straight savage when you get them behind the wheel. And that's how we are. That's how we are. A true story, I was driving from Maryland to South Carolina, and I was coming through Northern Virginia. If you know anything about the Northern Virginia area, the Springfield-Woodbridge area, it's always stop and go. So I'm driving through, and it's stop and go traffic, and I'm driving, I'm driving behind a woman, okay? Dri- driving behind a woman, and stop and go traffic, right? So we stop, then we go. We stop, then we go. And so then when we go, a guy in the right lane decides he's going to abruptly cut in front of the woman that's in front of me. So as the traffic pattern was, we stop. A few minutes later, as God is my witness, this lady got out of her car, put the car in park. She got out of the car, walked right up to the guy's driver's side window. Now, y'all know what I'm doing at this point, right? I'm all over my steering wheel trying to see, <laughs> trying to see what's going on. I got, my, I got my window down. She went up to this guy's window and commenced to giving him the business. I mean, she called him everything but a child of God, everything <laughs> but a child of God. She had no grace for the guy. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, lady, we're not going anywhere. We're not moving. But she had no grace. Now, I was proud of the guy, though. I was proud of him because he stayed just like this, head and eyes straight forward. He never even acknowledged her. He never even looked over at her. He never even looked at her. But now, so it might not be traffic or vehicular related for you, but it's something, right? We all have areas in our life when we're slow to extend grace to other people. We all have those areas where we're slow to extend grace. We all have those areas. You remember in, in, in Matthew chapter 18, the, the parable of the unforgiving servant, right? Jesus, P- Peter comes to Jesus and says, uh, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother that sins against me? Seven times? Jesus said, mm, how about 70 times seven, Right? And you remember the story, Jesus goes on to say, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. And if you remember the story, uh, he goes to one of his servants, the king, that owes him a lot of money. Servant owes the king a lot of money. And the servant says, listen, please be patient with me. I'll pay you everything that, that I owe you. The Bible says that the king forgave the man all his debts and released him. Same servant, same guy. The scripture says, went and found a servant that owed him money. Fresh off of grace, fresh off of grace, he went and found somebody that owed him money. The Bible says he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, said, pay me what you owe me. The guy says the same thing. Please, sir, be patient with me. I'll pay you everything that I owe you. The guy wasn't patient with him. The scripture says that he put him in jail, right? So word gets back to the king. Hey, king, uh, your, your boy over here, your boy over here tripping. King, king goes over to him and says, you wicked servant. 
you son of a gun, you. Didn't you just come to me and beg me and I forgave you and then you gonna go do this? Take him to the torturers. Then Jesus says, so will my heavenly father also do to you if you don't forgive your brother. So side note, whenever you see the kingdom of heaven is like or the kingdom of God is like, it often follows, it's often followed by a parable that, that contains a principle for our personal application. In other words, the virtue that underscores this text is that of grace. The virtue that underscores this text is that of grace. I love what Andy says in the book here, um, The Grace of God. He says, when we are on the receiving end, grace is refreshing. But when it's required of us, it's often disturbing. Isn't that true? And so we need to begin to change this by embracing grace. Thus, it is profitable for you and I to begin to become disciplined at embracing grace. Jesus said in John 10.10, he said, I've come that they might have life and have it how? More abundantly. The New Living Translation says that they might have a rich and a satisfying life. And I believe that one of the major keys to you and I living this life is embracing grace. Embracing grace. So we talked for a few minutes about the importance of grace. Now I want to talk about the influence of grace. Because we see in our text there are three ways that, that grace influenced the life of Paul. And I love this part, y'all. I'm going to get excited, so y'all stay with me now. It says in verse, eight, in verse number 8, it says, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on to say, therefore, most gladly, will, will I rather boast in my infirmities. Wait a minute, hold on. Stop. Something happened. Paul went from begging God to get this thing out of his life to boasting about it. Did you notice that? What, but God didn't, God didn't change his situation, did he? I submit to you that the first influence we see that grace had on the life of Paul was that it changed his perception of his situation. It changed his perception. See, because perception is not what you see, but it's what you think about what you see, right? So Paul now knew that there was a purpose to his pain. He now knew that there was a purpose to his pain. Now, this is important because the world is watching us. The world is watching how we live as believers. The world is watching us. And some of us, God, is, God has us in a problem right now, and he's not going to change it. He wants to change you in the midst of the problem. He wants to get you and I to begin to see our problems differently. I love this. Jesus, John, Jesus said in John 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation. He said, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Dr. Miles Monroe said that crisis is an asset because it forces us to look at resources differently. You don't believe me? Think about it this way. Uh, you got $20 in your pocket, but you just got paid. You see that $20 one way, right? Take that same $20, now you got a week and a half before you get paid again. That's a crisis, right? So now you see that $20 differently, right? Now you, you're looking at uh, where you can go eat off the dollar menu, right? You're looking at going to buy peanut butter and jelly so you can make it till you get to your next payday. But the world is watching us. And we need to begin to embrace grace. Notice this, Paul embraced grace in the middle of his problem. In the middle of his problem. Because it's easy to say, uh, grace of God, God be with you when everything is okay. But Paul embraced grace 
in the middle of his situation. The second thing we, we see, the influence that, influence that grace had on Paul, is that it changed Paul's posture before God. It changed his posture. How do I know that? Paul went from, he went from asking for something from God to giving something to God. Paul went from, God, get this thing out of my life, to God, I'm grateful for this thing. He went from hands out to hands up. I need somebody to get that. He went from hands out, God, give me something, to hands up. God, I'm grateful for this problem. I'm grateful because now Paul understood that how he stands in the middle of his problem is, in, is critically important. And it changed his posture. I remember years ago being a, a probationary firefighter, and I was going through a lot, going through a lot. Only a year on a job, and I'm going through a lot. And I had a fire in my apartment. Had a fire in my apartment. My, my neighbor's 20-year-old son fell asleep cooking bacon. <laughs> Where they do that at? Like, he's 20 years old. So, <laughs> nonetheless, seven people were displaced. So I had that going on. I had so many other things going on in my life. And I remember praying, God, change the situation. God, change it. I had to, uh, I had to go to the fire department to get resources from the Red Cross, um, contacting different unions to see what I can get because I needed help. And I remember praying in the middle of this, kind of had a woe is me attitude. Kind of had a woe is me. And I remember one day, I didn't understand it then, but I remember one day, I just felt different about my situation. Felt different. I had, a, I had an incredible peace about my situation. What I didn't realize was the situation drew me to the presence of God in a way that I had never been to his presence before. Right? So I'm going through this, and by the way, I never got the assistance I needed. I never got it. I never, I never got the help that I needed, but that wasn't the point. Nine years later, I go to a function. I'm still a fireman. I go to a function, and I see a lady who was the executive assistant for the fire chief at the time. So she recognized me. She said, young man, do you remember me? I said, yes, ma'am, I do. She said, I remember a few years ago, you were, you were in a space. You were in some trouble. She said, and I remember every time you came up to the chief's office, you had a smile on your face, and you had a three-piece suit on, and you were greeting everybody. And I remember when it was all over, you gave us all thank you cards, and I still have mine because you blessed my life. I submit to you that my posture changed and my posture was no longer reflective of my problem because I learned how to embrace grace. I learned how to embrace grace in the middle of my problem. So that's the second influence we see that happened here to Paul. The third one we see is power. He says that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, how many people in here can, can stand from a little bit more of the power of God in your life? I know I can. But he said that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Grace ushered the power of God into Paul's situation. It ushered the power of God into Paul's situation. But here's the thing for a lot of us. We want the power of God, but we, we don't want to give anything up to get it. It cost Paul the inconvenience of the thorn in his flesh. It cost him the inconvenience. Look, look at this. Um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 10 says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And here it is in verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection 
and in the fellowship of his suffering. See, here's the thing about a lot of us. We want to know him in the power of his resurrection, but we don't want to fellowship with him in his sufferings. And I submit to you, in order for us to get to this place where the power of God more regularly rests on our life, we got to embrace grace so that it can influence us the way that it did the life of Paul. Is this making sense? So we see that it influenced Paul, his, his perception, his posture, and then the power of God. And so we talked about the importance of grace, and then we just went over the influences of grace, and then I want to close by talking about the instruments of grace, the instruments of grace. As I, as I prayed about this, you know, one of the things I asked the Lord was, was, what does it look like for us to embrace grace? I went back to my situation several years earlier when I was a fireman and how that change happened. And I examined the things that the Lord did in my heart and in my life then and how it changed my posture. It changed my perception and how the power of Christ rested on me. And one of the things the Lord said to me is that embracing grace is all about awareness. It's all about awareness. New City, hear me. God is, is dynamic. He's not static. In other words, God is always moving. He's always working in the life of the believer. The question is, how aware are you and I of what God is doing? How aware are we of what God is doing? Now, we know that we can't earn grace, and we don't deserve it. But we can put ourselves in a position to be more aware of it so that we can make ourselves more available to it. So that's what I'm talking about when I talk about the instruments of grace. Uh, David Mathis refers to these as the habits of grace in the book by the same title. The first thing he says in the book, he says, you have to hear his voice. Got to hear his voice. Now, what he's referring to is spending time in God's word. That's what he's referring to. But I think considering the context of the world that we live in, whereby there are tons of voices fighting for our attention, right? Tons of voices fighting for our attention. I think this discipline is best understood using the word distinguish. How do we distinguish the voice of God over the voice of your mother, over the voice of your best friend, over the voice of frustration, over the voice of lack, over the voice of pain, right? Because here's the truth. Oftentimes, these voices speak very loudly at times. And so it's our responsibility to learn how to distinguish this voice. And I'll submit to you, you do that the same way you distinguish any other voice you know. You get familiar with it in his word. I believe that there is a sound to the kingdom of God. And there's a way God speaks to his children. Now, we won't be able to figure God out totally because he's God, right? But there is a large portion of his presence, his spirit, that he wants us to, to apprehend. And so the first instrument of grace I want to talk about, I want to mention rather, is hearing his voice. The second one he talks about is having his ear. Having his ear. He's talking about prayer. Now he covers it in a broad spectrum, but I want to talk about effective prayer. Being effective in prayer. Because I believe that now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, is not going to get you out of what you're into. It's not going to change your situation. It's not going to change your circumstance, right? I love in Luke 11 when Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He said, when you pray, pray this. So we know first that we got to pray, 
But what's also important is what we say when we pray to God, right? One of the things he talked about was he says, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what Jesus was showing them is that one of the essential elements of prayer should be the establishment of God's kingdom in the earth. In other words, we got to get away from these selfish prayers. Because a lot of times when we pray, it's about, it's about me and my will and what I want done in the earth, right? What I'm suggesting is in prayer, learn to focus on the will of God. I'm not saying don't tell God what you want, but I'm saying make his will your priority when you pray. Does that make sense? So he said, hear his voice. He said, have his ear. And the last thing he talked about was belonging to his body. Belonging to his body. My why, the reason why I do everything I do, is comprised of three words. Belief, becoming, and in the middle is belonging. Because I believe that everybody believes in something. And most of us want to become better than we are in some way, shape, fashion, or form. In my opinion, the bridge to believing and becoming is belonging. And I believe that before we can become better than we are, we must first belong to something greater than we are. And so when we talk about belonging to his body, this is not, this is not just membership. This is engagement. This is engagement. Because your blessing might be in the pocket of the person sitting right beside you. But if you never get connected to a community group or you never, you never get engaged in serving, you may never know that. You may never know. And so you and I have to begin to get connected to the body on a deeper level because what God has put in you is valuable to the body. And get this, it will help you and I to embrace grace. As we see other people's, one of, our, one of our values is that we struggle well together. And part of how we do that is we get connected to his body. John Maxwell said, we don't lack resources, we lack togetherness. We don't lack resources, we lack togetherness. Andy Stanley says this in a book, he says, grace is never just enough, grace is always more than enough. It's never just enough, it's always more than enough. Paul said in Galatians 2.21, he said, I don't frustrate the grace of God. I don't frustrate it, I don't reject it, I don't set it aside. I don't frustrate the grace of God. And when we try to do life apart from grace, that's exactly what we do. We frustrate God's grace. We frustrate, some of us need to embrace grace not only that we can more readily extend it to other people, but so that we can stop beating ourselves up. Some of us struggle with perfectionism and legalism and, and we're always judgmental of other people and ourselves. For those of us that struggle with those things, we need everything in our world to be just right for us to be okay. And I came to tell somebody, he, did, he didn't die for that. So my prayer for us today is that we would embrace grace so that it could balance our lives out. Now we will embrace grace so that we can begin to see ourselves the way God sees us. He sees us as amazing. He sees us as valuable to his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Can I pray for you? Father God in heaven, we bless you. We honor you. We thank you for these people in this place. God, we acknowledge that there are times when we've missed it. We've dropped the ball. We haven't extended grace to our neighbor. 
times when we have frustrated your grace, but we're grateful for today. It's a brand new day, day that we've never seen before and a day that we'll never see again. God, help us to be the best that we can be today, right now. God, we ask that you help us to embrace grace by prioritizing the disciplines of familiarizing ourselves with your word, of praying and focusing on your will and getting more engaged in your body. God, we ask for your goodwill, your loving kindness, and your strength. In the middle of our situation, that we might be an even more accurate representation of who you are on the earth. Thank you for reminding us of your grace today. Now help us to apply it as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, God's children said amen, amen, amen and amen.